Viewer discretion is advised. Oh yeah, I've crushed life. You know, I've I've made it mine, and then um, life goes. No, you haven't, because I'm going to show you what life's about. Mandate. Hey, welcome to Mandate, where we navigate fresh perspectives and nothing's off the table. Tonight's guest is originally from South Africa, but now he resides in Aotearoa, New Zealand, in Tamaki Makoto. He is an entrepreneur, has vast experience with uh, the property industry. He mentors in property, business, social media, and he has his own podcast called The Wolf of Queen Street. Uh, but also one thing that's really important about this guy is that he's an amazing story, amazing message, impactful messages. So please put your hands together for the ingenious Lawrence Lotz. Thank you so much. Thank you much. Um, it's always weird being on the other side. It's always weird. <laughs> it is always so weird being, you know, I've, I've given some big intros and, and I understand it when my guests go and they, and they, they almost blush. Um, you know, I never like to hear my own story, right? <laughs> <laughs> but thanks. Uh, it's amazing to have the opportunity to be on the show. Um, you know, I reached out, was a couple of months ago, so I found you on TikTok one night oh, and I was doing my social media, man, and I was like, this looks the part. There is some amazing message you've been, you guys are trying to achieve and people you're trying to go out to. And I was like, I wonder if I could have the the opportunity, the, the humbling opportunity to be able to come here and tell my story um, to your audience that I've, I've, I've seen over the last couple of weeks are amazing supporting and people that I think would love to hear what I have to say, but people are, you know, I want to share out there and try and help as well, pretty much. Oh, awesome, Lawrence, because I know you got an amazing message and obviously we're going to unpack that tonight and so um bro, bro, bro thank you so much for hitting us up like i said before and for um and you do you you run your own podcast you, you're, you're quite um out there and, and a lot of people know who you are as well bro and so you've got a lot of have a wide network and a, a connection but before we kind of kind of get into it and dive into the conversation um lawrence is there can you tell us a little bit just a little bit for those who don't know who you are just tell us a little bit about who you are because the accent but oh hey that's that's <laughs> the, the famous south african um accent yeah just give, give them us give them a bit of a teaser oh how about this i'll give you a bit of a backstory up until about 2018 where my story really gets thick into it right so obviously i can't hide i'm south african um some <laughs> days i try to hide it right and then people just look at me and go nah bro um, so born and raised Cape Town, South Africa, um, um, storm a supporter yeah. most of my year. I uh, grew up um, being a rugby player myself, going top level, private schooling. Um, we're just talking about off air, you know, um, being, having the opportunity of going to like Springbok 21 trials when I was back in South Africa, uh, walking in um, to the trials and I was playing in hooker at that stage, um, back up sort of in the front row and running into a kid called Bismarck Lupusi as my comp- a competition at the Springbok 21 trials. Um, and having the realization that uh, I'm good, I'm just not that good, and um, and been and been humbled one of the first few times in my life of going actually seeing what skill, hard work, and and what those guys did. I mean, I think he made it. He made Springbok 21s, and then from there into the senior team. I think it was 10 or 12 years um, without a break. Um, so I at least could say uh, a very exceptionally good player outplayed me. You know, uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, but yeah, so. Um, Grew up in, in the sports field, um, came over to New Zealand, that's what brought me over to New Zealand when I was 19, uh, played over uh, college rifles in Remuera uh, for a year there for their seniors and went back and then finished my um, my degree because at that stage when I came over to New Zealand, I'd met uh, my wife, um, she's a um, Kiwi from West Auckland, uh, we met at the, to anyone that um, knows the, the pub scene, the local um, cock and bull, 
Oh, yeah. yeah, the old LZ of Cock and Bull, yeah. Let's let's just see let's see how many shout out to everyone at Props uh, Cock and Bull. Yeah, right. Who's had a who's had a few drinks there. Um yeah, we met there and then we she sort of gave me that thing, um, story of hey, you know, if we ever want to take this further, um, you know, in South Africa things unfortunately is not great no matter you know, there was a time period where it was looking better, you know, with Nelson Mandela in the nineties and early two thousands, but at time had changed. And she said to me, you know, if we wanted to take things further and we wanted to have a family, um, Let's do it in New Zealand. New Zealand's the place to do it. If we don't want kids, by all means, you know, South Africa can still be opportunity. And I was always raised that I always wanted to um, be married young, have kids young and everything at that stage. So I was like, cool. Um, went back to South Africa, finished uh, my degree, uh, my business degree. I was raised um, in that sort of sense of you go to school, you go to high school, you go to university, you get a degree and you start a job. And it's one of those things I look back now going, what a waste. Because most degrees just sit on a shelf and we don't follow any of it, right? So just just as a side note, I already told my kids, I will not force you to go to university. I'd rather you travel the world for three years, right? Um, the experience of traveling the world for three years outweighs any $100,000 worth of debt and degree. Um, so um, finally finished my degree there, moved back here into New Zealand um, and got married and uh, started a family young when I was in, early in my 20s. And and just built up from there um, in my sort of my nine to five job, um, pushing that into the success. And one thing that I'd been raised with from my parents was always pushing to the max, always being, my dad had this um, saying, I don't know if you guys remember the, you know, you get the Ever Ready batteries. <laughs> and there used to be an ad with the Ever Ready uh, the bunny on, on oh, TV yes, like 20 yes, years ago yes, and it would die and then it would stand up. And he used to tell me as a kid, he goes, you, should, you have to always be an Ever Ready battery. And you look at him as a kid going, what are you talking about? And he goes, you have to be ready if the opportunity that you want happens right now. So if you're working towards being successful in whatever you're doing, in the podcasting game, in social media, in business, in sport, and you want that working towards the opportunity and something happens and the opportunity turns around and they go, yeah, it is. You've got to make sure that you're ready for it at that stage. So this was something that was ingrained to me very much in my teenagers into my 20s. So I kept pushing and always pushing. You know, it's, it's good in some sense, but in, not in all sense. And so I kept pushing to achieve everything I wanted to do pretty much in my 20s when I was in New Zealand. So young family, uh, kids, um, career was building up really well, um, got our first family home and it was like, cool, how do I take the next level? Okay, let's find a, a second family or investment property and sort of having targets and just re looking for the target and hitting it and looking for the target and hitting it. And that's how I thought life should be, right? Just put things in front of you and knock it out of the way. And I, and I think back to myself of how I would have been in the 20s and I would have been totally, I would have been that cocky, arrogant South African that most people, you know, look at and go, we don't want to like, we don't like him. We don't want to be around him because all, you know, all you want to do is chasing the success and the money. And, and unfortunately, what was, pushing me and breeding me because that's what I wanted to do. Um, and that's what I followed until I started my brand only just over three years ago, um, coming into 2018, as, as I said, is the the point of, oh, I've made it. Oh, you know, I've, I've done well. 2018 was sort of the year of success, traveling the world with my family and seeing everything we wanted to see and, and doing everything we wanted to do. The pat on the shoulder where you turn back and go, oh, yeah, I've crushed life. You know, I've, I've made it mine. And then... Um, Life goes, nah, no, you haven't because I'm going to show you what life's about. And that's really sort of in the end of 2018 into 2019 where really my life 
and my journey and why I'm here today and why my story and things actually started. Nothing of before that, nothing of the, the journey and the success and what I thought I achieved before that. All of that just fell away going into sort of 2019. Wow. Mate. And it's funny that you mentioned the South Africans. And people think, oh, and regardless of what people think in terms of, oh, this, they're, they're quite arrogant. But what I, I take um, a different um, view because I have, I have a lot of South, Af- um, South African friends. Um, but but they are, they're very similar in terms of they're very driven. They're very driven, they're very motivated. And there's something about that. I don't know, what, what, what is it about that, about the South Africans that they're quite, um, they're driven, they're quite um, ambitious? I think there's a lot of people, there's a lot of things people can't understand. You know, growing up in South Africa, seeing the worst of the worst, uh, you know, in that sense, compared to what lo- people would like, for example, in New Zealand might see, in Australia, is I say to people, it is that it is that growth of um, having to survive. Um, we live in we live in a hard time in New Zealand at the moment, right? Uh, we've just come through COVID twenty twenty um, economy. You know, it, it sucks at mm. the moment. Overall, to anyone, it sucks. But having to wake up and fight to survive and fight to live, um, growing up, um, being used to my dad carrying a nine more on his side going to the local restaurant and my dad having a revolver and putting it under the seat when we sat down as kids and eating because that was a normality. Um, having friends stabbed and shot and mugged um, every other week, um, you know, uh, normality. So you, you almost have this, um, you've got to fight to survive. So you either let life take you and you just stay down there or you fight the hardest you can to try and achieve some form of normality or success or the next level. So you, you get brought up in this and, you know, in your teens and your 20s and when you come to the rest of the world, you come to New Zealand. I remember the first year I came to New Zealand, everyone's like, everyone's like, slow down, just chill. <laughs> everyone, everyone's, everyone's just like, just chill. And we're like, what are you doing? You know, I came over here, I was, uh, um, what was it, 19, 20, first time, you know, going, you know, um, everything just wanting to rage and go and sport and uh, be successful and everything. Everyone's just like, just chill. And I was like, did I miss something? You know, <laughs> you know. And it and it almost felt like there was like this ten year gap between South Africa and New Zealand. Of, you know, New Zealanders start ten years later because they're like they take an extra ten years just to figure it out. And it's not that they take an extra ten years to figure it out; they just enjoy life more. And have more of life. And I know a lot of people might be looking going, hey, it, it sucks and it's hard, yeah. Trust me when I say I've seen shit and heard shit and, and experienced stuff you never want to experience. And that's why sometimes, you know, from some South African point of view coming over, that's, we have that. Because um, if I don't have that drive, I get left behind at the very bottom of the very worst that you can have in the world or, or life just eats me up and I get taken or something happens to my family or my life or, you know, things like that. Um, so that's why I feel that sometimes this comes across in South Africans that we're so driven. And it's not driven, it's just that we've got to keep moving to try and improve ourselves or our lives or our opportunities. Otherwise, it's literally just going to suck you back in. Wow, mate. And, you, and I, I appreciate that, Lawrence, because I think in the past, I think, um, you know, you kind of, for face value, you think, oh, well, the South Africans, they're very driven, ambitious. Mm-hmm. But now you can understand as to why. Mm-hmm. You know, all the, the hardships and, the, and, the, and the, you know, the worry and all that stuff that's happening back home. And, and you see the push. 
and I love the fact that I love that you talked about the ever ever ready battery that, that in terms of opportunities and and you guys strive you continue to continuously strive. But it must be quite weird when you come to a country where it's like kind of all laid back, <laughs> you know, relaxed. You were saying, what is going on? What's, what's wrong with these people, man? Well, how, how is it for you now? Because you, obviously you, you live here now and and you see that, the, the, you, obviously you've seen all the changes and all, and the, all that. But what, 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 do you still have the, like, the urge to come? Obviously you're st- still there like, I want to I keep going, do things. Yeah, so it all depends. I mean, it all depends if you want me to go through my story of 2019 so tell the audience because that's where it's, it pivoted. It's still there. But it's changed. So up until 2018, it was 100 miles an hour, be more, do more, buy more, be more, be more successful, have more money. Um, that stuff that most people hate of other people, right? And look how cool I look like and, you know, can I have the best car and, you know, can I have the biggest house and all that sort of stuff. And I look back at myself going, man, I would have been, I would have hated myself, um, you know. Um, I would have not liked a lot of what I was, you know, in my 20s, into my 30s and then, um, like I said, in 2019, the, the, the when life threw me my curveball, that's when I had the, the, the humbling experience of that in that situation um, that taught me that that's not all that life's about. That's not all that life's about for me. Don't get me wrong. For some people, it still is the point, right? But for me and my journey and my story and my family, that is no longer the chase. I don't chase more money. I don't chase – don't get me wrong. Everyone loves money, right? But I don't chase – opportunity to make me more money or to get paid more money to have or the success or um, the fancy cars. Um, what I chase now is for trying to have it that other people have that opportunity because I've had enough and I've experienced enough and I've enjoyed enough, but everyone should have that. Uh, one of the biggest things uh, that that I've learned is wealth, depending on how you perceive or understand wealth right some people understand wealth is money and some people understand wealth is a happy family and a large family um however you perceive wealth there's enough of it in the world that we all can have it and it takes it takes a struggle for most people to understand that because we are not willing to share our wealth or our knowledge right for a very long time i was like i'm not going to tell you how i was successful I'm not going to tell you how I made my money or how I achieved it because if I tell you, you're going to become better than me. And after, you know, my medical situation in 2019, I realized that I'm Lawrence. There's no other person on the planet that is me. You can become a better version of you, but you'll never be me. And we, and there's that whole thing of you're only ever competing with yourself. So if you can be, if you can be happy with that and understand that, and willing to share because no matter how much I share, no one's ever going to be Lawrence or be a better version of me because I'm the only person, that, I'm, I'm the only version. And that was one of the biggest learnings I came out of it. And that's when all of a sudden the knowledge and the sharing and the giving away as much as possible as I can because other people should become the, the better, the best version of themselves. And I have, a, I have a, a message and a thing that I tell to most people, most of my students and people I help or anyone in my network is, I want them in a couple of years' time to be twice, three, four times more successful in the wealth that they want than what I am today. I'd rather look at it in the hundred people that I've helped are over there and sitting, you know, sitting with the, the all blacks in the in the box and enjoying it. And I'm sitting back at home and going, I can't get you there. But they can because they have that opportunity and they deserve that. Mate. Yeah. Hey. 
That's awesome. What a mindset. Now I'm really curious about the inciting incident that caused this this, this change. This, this, yeah. yeah, this transition, the switch, and especially the the nuances of the struggle. Because I think there'll be people that have their own struggles, but mm. there might be nuggets from your struggle that are relevant to them. And and not everyone is is fortunate to be able to reflect on it and mm. and have the awareness to be able to pull those nuggets and those gems from it. So I'm really curious to hear about those years that yep. I think you mentioned 2018, 2019. 19. Yeah. Yeah, so as I said, you know, I got to 2018 was the year sort of where I, uh, the success, where I, my, my big success, travel in the world, or everything that I ever wanted in life, I'd achieved it. And uh, I looked at it and went, great, I'm success. And I can't, there's nothing I can't do um, into 2018. And that's where at the end of 2018, I made the decision to start my social media brand called The Wolf of Queen Street. Obviously, it's a knockoff of The Wolf of Wall Street. Uh, my, my first logo was me in a white suit from Vegas with my hands up here yeah, because I wanted to be Jordan Belfort, right? I wanted to be as cool and as famous and crazy stories like him. So I started the Wolf of Queen Street brand um, at, you know, sort of end of 2018 into 2019. And then when 2019 sort of, so, sort of started and everything like that, I started feeling a little bit off about myself. Um, I was like, I'm, I'm just not 100% in the, in the first couple of months. And I thought back and went, oh, okay, maybe 2018, it's a, it's a bit of a hangover. Maybe I've, I've had two of a big year, I'm actually having a bit of a hangover. Uh, I'm also getting a little bit older, mid-30s, you know. Um, maybe my body's saying, hey, slow down. And um, I still felt not all there. You know, the, the social media brand was going, I was interviewing like the top business people in the world and all that. And all of that important stuff was still just going in 100 miles an hour on the one side. But on the other side, I was just like, nah, something's just, you know, you can't shake it. Um, to any of the, uh, the uh, female listeners or audience out there at the moment, uh, woman's intuition, they know what I'm talking about. When you feel that sort of something's not right, you know, um, that's the sort of feeling I started getting. And um, the wife said to me, okay, maybe you need to go to your doctor. Maybe go to the GP and just have a little checkup and everything else. And put my hand up. Us males, we are horrible with asking a GP or be willing to go to a doctor and go, hey, mate, I'm not feeling 100%. Can you check me out? And, uh, and please, as a first point to anyone out there at the moment, if you're not feeling it and everything else, I know at the moment it's really hard to get in front of a GP, so unfortunately it's a bit of a struggle, but go and ask someone. Just, just have a checkup. Um, so I went to my GP and said, hey, look here. I'm feeling a little bit off. Uh, I'm not not sure what's going on. And I said, okay, right. We'll send you for blood tests and see what we find out. So you're talking about um, sort of February, March in 2019. Send me for the blood test. Um, send me for a couple more because um, there was a few things in the, in the initial in the blood test that looked a bit weird. Um, and then the, my GP called me and, this, and he said to me, hey, we've seen something in your blood that is not normal. Firstly, not normal for a male and it's not normal in total. And what they had found is a hormone called prolactin. And a prolactin is the hormone that a breastfeeding mother produces uh, uh, while she's breastfeeding. So the doctor's like, well, um, you not, you know, you're not transitioning, you're not, you're not taking hormones, <laughs> um, you know, you're not doing any of that stuff, and your level is four times the level of a breastfeeding mother. So we're like, hmm, that's not normal. So they said to me, okay, um, I want you to go see a specialist. Um, um, go, go go see a specialist, and they um, they'll do a checkup if everything's right with your pituitary gland, which produces your hormones and everything else. Um, so when we went and saw the specialist, sat down, and he said to me, "There's this common 
is this common case that happens that you get a very, very actually quite small growth in next to your pituitary gland. You can actually take a medication and it almost dissolves. So it's just like a small growth. Um, firstly, I thought it was weird that they said it's normal that there was a something growing in my brain. Um, but I was like, okay, cool, cool. And he said to me, go, go and have an MRI scan. We'll just check out the head and then I'll see you a week later. And uh, the Tuesday or the Wednesday morning, you're talking about April 2019 now, I go with my wife to go in on, um, to do the MRI scan. And sorry, because this, this always gets me. And um, we walk in, we do the MRI scan. It's 8 a.m. I think it's the first slot they had in the morning. The Literally five minutes after I walk out, um, the MRI, my specialist calls me and goes, Lawrence, I don't want to see you in a week's time. I want to see you at 8 a.m. tomorrow morning. And at that moment, uh, my my hair's uh, I got goosebumps and my hair's risen in the back of my neck. I can remember it as if it was yesterday. At that moment, I had a realization that something was going to change. My life would never be the same from ex- at that exact moment because if he couldn't wait seven days to see me, he had to see me in hours what was going on so the next morning myself and my wife going to the specialist we sit down and um uh the you know the, the guy he says once we've had the scan you know my wife goes oh they just to try and break the break the tension he goes oh did you find lawrence's brains does he have anyone so we all giggled and you know that nervous giggle like oh funny joke um and he turned around and said yeah you know we found something in the brain and I've got the, I've actually got the scan. I've got a photo of the scan, um, and I use it when I, when I do public speeches. And what that found is in the, um, on the base of my brain around the pituitary gland, there was a growth, and the growth was about a golf ball size that encased my pituitary gland, was next to my optic nerve, and was pushing on my carotid artery. So anyone that knows horror movies will know what I'm talking about when I talk about the carotid artery. Um, the growth was so big that at this stage I had unbeknownst to myself for this pushing of my optic nerve which runs your sight. I had lost, I'd lost a third of my sight. My sight was actually closing in on me. My peripheral vision was being lost because it was just slowly growing and pushing this nerve. And it made sense when I found this out because I'd been struggling as part of not feeling great. I'd been struggling with having really sore shoulders and neck the last few months. Um, and my specialist told me that it was because I had to turn more to see more because I had lost half of, you know, a third of my sight at that stage. And this growth um, on the carotid artery, at, if it was allowed to grow, it would push onto the onto carotid artery, lose my sight, um, impacting my pituitary gland, which was controlling all my hormones. And this is why the hormones were all back. And, um, and the specialist said, hey, look, here, this isn't something we can leave. This isn't something that you can just come and use a tablet and... You know, I'll see you in six months' time. We've got to get this sorted. So from having everything just a few months before and having everything which I thought was success and all the all the pieces in the world, to sit in there a few months later and having a golf ball-sized tumour on, um, on my brain that, if I'd left alone, could cause critical issues and, unbeknownst, maybe even death within a year's time, you know, life's changed quickly and and so so fast in the sense that six weeks later six weeks later after that 
I had um, the surgery with the, the best brain specialist um, in New Zealand, um, and that's why it was six weeks, because he was on leave, so we waited. We, I could have had a couple of weeks earlier, but the, they said to me the risk of waiting that two weeks was okay to get number one, and I wanted number one. Um, and I went in on 25th of June 2019, on my birthday, I went in to have surgery. So on the, on the day you normally celebrate of being born, I had to try and fight to celebrate to be alive. Um, so every so every time I've had a birthday since, I celebrate my me being alive, not being born. And I think it's a bit of a different mindset of you need to celebrate another year that we year, right? Um, we don't always have it. So obviously, as I'm sitting here right now, I made I made it through the surgery. So there's no there's no loopholes that I didn't make it through the surgery, right? But that was that was day one. Um, as much as much a lot of people think that would have been you know a, a crazy moment or a really hard moment that was actually only step one year of this what they just thought to come in the next six months that was as as crazy as it is that was almost the easiest part because what was going to happen next what's going to happen next what is going to happen next and me, me and my family not almost been able to get out on the other side and pretty much had the surgery specialist the brain surgeon said hey it was larger than the golf ball we had to remo remove the pituitary gland it was as successful as it can be but um your body's never going to be able to regulate your hormones um as a side effect you got to take medication for life um and uh, as a male again we don't know how hormones work right we don't understand something triggers and i'm happy and i'm sad and I, I totally understand and more respect um, out, um, to our female audience at the moment, understanding their body's being con un, not under their control because of hormones going through their body. Um, so recovering from the surgery, learning uh, the new person I am, um, as, you know, there's days because of my hormones, I can't get out of bed. Um, there's days when I'm manic and then there's days when I'm down. There's days I can't really talk to my kids because I can't see eye to eye because... And still to this point now, it's been just um, uh, three years and one month, almost to the day, um, that I still struggle because of this hormone imbalance and what I need to do that. And again, this is just one step on this ladder. So going past June, the surgery, July, August, you know, recovering from it, because I had everything the year before, I said, great, I don't have to worry, I'm self-employed, um, I'm, I'm good. Um, you know, the first few months, whatever cash was in the bank, that paid the bills, that paid the mortgage, paid the mortgages, the couple of the properties that I had, um, all the other things. And I said, oh, not to worry, you know, that's all that, that attitude. I've got insurance that will sort me out in a couple of months' time. I just want to recover and get good. And I started getting sort of September, October, where I got to the point of, hey, the cash in the bank sort of running out. I'm still slowly having to try and get back to work, trying to recover. I should maybe call up the people for my insurance and say, hey, you know, I've gone through this. Can I get my, my medical insurance payout? Not to no, pay for the surgery, to pay my protection, right? Uh, we take out insurance in case something happens in life and you can get paid out a, a lump sum or a monthly payment and stuff like that. So I had what I perceived as this protection. So I called my insurance company and said, hey, I've gone through, I've had brain surgery. Um, here's all my information. I can see I've got a insurance can we have my payout so my insurance company turned around to me and says yeah, yeah, yeah you've you've got insurance and you've been paying 10 years with us and all the rest and but we're not going to pay out so i turned around and i was like what are you talking about you're not going to turn out uh, well you're not, not going to pay out 
so they sent me a, 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 um, an email. Again, I've got this um, uh, this image on my head home and highlighted. And in my contract, in the fine print, as I always do, there was two clauses that they found the reason of why they wouldn't pay me out. Firstly, in New Zealand, we are very progressive and very forward with our medical field um, throughout the world. We are very advanced um, in the way we do things. Normally, a brain tumor, you'd go through the skull. So with me, we didn't. We went through my nose. So you can imagine anyone that's watched the old school Total Recall, um, <laughs> if you know what I'm talking about, that's, that's, yeah. that's what happened with me, right? In a real simple way. So they said to me, no, because your surgery didn't go through the skull and it's called some medical term and that, that didn't meet a brain tumor or brain surgery. Okay. And second clause, they said to me, okay, also you don't have lifetime, con you don't have um, conditions for the rest of your life, you know, that you have to struggle with um, because this is to pay out because you've had a big surgery and for the rest of your life you have struggles. We don't feel that you are unhealthy I mean, at that stage, I was, I was looking, I was younger, I was looking a lot further than I was now, I looked like I was okay, but we had letters and supporting um, information, like I said, it said that I'm on medication for life. If I get in a car accident, my body can't produce certain hormones, I've got to be given in hormones immediately, otherwise my body goes in shock and I can die. I can't get out of bed some days. I can't speak to my kids some days. And you want to tell me now that I'm fine? You want to tell me that I'm healthy and I'm good? Now, don't get me wrong. I'm I'm happy that I'm alive and I'm happy I am where I am. But by all means, don't tell me I'm okay, right? Um, but insurance companies, being insurance companies, they turned around and said, "Sorry, there's your two clauses. We won't pay you out." So this got to the next step on my ladder, realizing sort of September, October that my money was running out very quickly. So I forced myself to go back to work. Um, just slowly trying to make ends meet on the bills and everything else. And uh, as I said, because in 2018, you had all the success, you had all the stuff, you had big expenses. Now, when you've, when you've got it all, you've got big things to pay, right? And when you don't have the money, this stuff gets expensive real quick. So sold as, what, what, sold as much of my stuff I could. And it finally came to the point in January um, 2020, which is only a couple of years ago, where it got to the... The, the darkest point in my life where, where I bounced on a mortgage because I couldn't pay my bills. I'd sold everything we could possibly sell. I still held on to a couple of properties because I was like, hey, that's, that, was my kids, that was my kids' future. You know, a family home and uh, like another property. That's my kids' future. If I let go of that, bounced on a mortgage, didn't know how I could pay to see to pay the bills the next month. And also at that stage, because I had changed so much through the person I was and my hormones and everything, myself and my wife couldn't see eye to eye. The person she had married oh, 12, 13 years earlier and we'd been together for about 15 years at that stage, we were no longer the same couple. We couldn't see eye to eye and we... I had to come out, I had to come out publicly to our friends and go, hey, we're not sure we're going to make it. We're not sure that our marriage can get it through um, if we can get through this situation. And it was at this, this point is where, to me, was my realization of my, so what I call my darkest hour, because it was at this point, all the success that I thought and the importance I had in the world, I couldn't pay a bill. Everything that I thought I'd done and done the right way, I couldn't pay a bill. 
and everything I'd grown and been and family man and what is important and everything else could no longer likely hold a family together. And it, it was the darkest moment, darkest time in my life where I'd no, I couldn't see, I couldn't see out. I couldn't see where to go. I couldn't see what the opportunities was. I just didn't know where to go with it. But one thing, and this is something that I hope people that get down to that point, when you get to the darkest moment of your life, if you're willing, you got to be willing for this, to look, you might see the smallest glimmer of light. And this is what I had, at that moment, I because I still had a little bit left in me, because I still wanted, I still had a bit into me going, where can, what can I get? I, I saw the smallest glimmer of light. And what it was, was a remembrance that a couple of months before that, even while I was recovering, I was, um, I was crewing at an event. I was giving away my time free to help other people out. I met like-minded people that showed importance to me that showed success of what I thought of what I felt at that stage was more important and had knowledge that I was lacking on in, in certain areas that could possibly help me in my life. And I reached out to these people and I didn't ask them. I literally went to them and I begged them and I said, I have nothing. I have nowhere. I don't know what to do. I don't know where to go. I can't pay my bills. I don't know how to hold everything together. Where do I go from this? And luckily enough, those people, you know, they're part of, you know, my wider, my wider network and family is still close to me to this day. I, I speak to a few of them almost every week and every other week. Um, they were able to help me slowly but surely to change the things that was needed to take one step to the next to be able to get control of the things that I need in my life. And one of the learnings from that was the hardest step you're ever going to take is just that first one. The hardest one is ever going to be that first one. Because once you take that first step, you're already one step further away from what was holding you or that darkness or that peace behind you. And then once you take that second step, you're further and further away. So for me begging these people to help and then slowly putting that together, I was able to take one step and take the next step and got it to, you know, a month or so later, got my accounts under control so I could pay my bills and stabilise on that. Um, could work through taking that pressure out myself and my wife could figure out how we were as people and learned a new way to live with each other. And it was mostly 99% my fault most times. I couldn't understand how to control myself or what the control was. And it was something very it was something very simple that we implemented with my wife was we implemented a safe word. And not a safe word like most people would think about that's watched Fifty Shades of Grey, but a safe word that if anyone mentioned it between ourselves, whatever we had to do had to be stopped and we had to step away. Because there was moments I couldn't control how I would trigger, right? So I'd be fine having a chat, you'd say something and I would just go off. And I couldn't control my rage. And I, or I couldn't control my up or I couldn't control my down. Now It could be you talking over to me and then I lose it or I start talking to you and then it just triggers me as well or, or my wife could see this was building me up. 
And this is one of the big things of, you know, not being able to talk to each other, talk around. She'd be stressed about us going out in public because she'd worry that, you know, her South African husband was going to lose his shit in the mall and shout at someone. And uh, that happened. You know, there was, I I had lost it to people in public, um, got in people's faces um, for no apparent reason. So then because we could slowly start controlling in one side things, you know, on the financial side, get some, some grip on that side, we could then implement some rules. And it was as simple as a safe word. And we, we sat down and said, here's an agreement. If any one of us drop this word, no matter what, you have to walk away if what's happening at the moment. So if we're having a conversation and she drops it, I've got to stop and I've got to walk away. So I walk away and she walks away. And that, that discussion or that topic or whatever doesn't get spoken about again that day. And it's funny, as simple as it was, it changed things straight away because it broke that habit. And it wasn't a habit I could control. It just broke that sort of thing, right? So people out there that, you know, um, trying to uh, break habits that they sometimes don't realize um, when you're sitting with um, alcoholism, um, drug addiction, um, in the modern time, porn addiction in, the, in some sense, things like that is... Um, Sometimes you don't realize that by just stepping away, how I can break it, but knowing how to actually step away. So needing someone next to you or to support you to go, this is what we're going to implement. This is the rule we're going to make between you and me. This is the pack we're going to make that I'm going to support you and you're going to support me. And this is how we do it. And and then that's where a, a big difference in that made so that we could take that one uh, problem out of the way and then become work through as a couple um, – where we're going we're still working through it now there's still moments and there's still changes and there's still things when we, i speak to my wife and she goes hey you're still not the person i married you, you know you've you she's got to accept and i've got to accept we will never be the couple we were for three or four years ago before the surgery because of what might change um and 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 it's sometimes it's a hard one to swallow uh, my kids have my kids have that realization as well that daddy's not the same person he was i try to be um, I try to change, but my my control of my body and some sometimes still gets the better of me. But I was going through all of this into that point into twenty twenty, and coming out the other side. Thank goodness, coming out the other side was realizing actually what is important in life. Right, all the money in the world couldn't save me. All the money in the world couldn't save me. So why do I chase money? Why do I make it the most important thing? Um, everything that I thought was important couldn't have helped me. And it was really then in um, 2020 when I realized that I need to stop doing what I think is important in the world because there's so many people out there at the moment that even could be listening or watching at the moment that they need that person to help them. They need that person to stand next to them to say it's okay. They need that person to stand next to them or that person that can reach out to and go, I'm here, I'm happy to listen. There will be no judgment. And how can us, how can we as a group, individual, family and everything else, take that first and hardest step together? And that's the stuff that we as a society, unfortunately, are lacking on. We see it too much. The, the, the level of uh, suicide, the level of depression, alcoholism in, in New Zealand is, 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 is horrendous. 
and it's it's in two struggles. It's the we get brought up not to ask for help, and we also get um, brought up not to offer help. So how do you how do you fix the middle? How do you bring the two sides together? And 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 that's the biggest thing. What I try and do with my my direction now is trying to bring those two sides together. I might not be the best person to do it, but I just still try to say, hey, we can bring it into the middle. We need we need to have it that it's a, uh, it's, it's acceptable. Uh, you know that we can do it. Um, um, not being judged, um, people feeling depressed, people don't know when to go, people don't have the right education, people not having the right know-how to save their families. But then, it's, where do we go from it? Where, we spoke about it off-air, right? How, where do you find the knowledge? Where does, as an individual or a human being that's struggling in the hardest moment, where do I go to get the stuff that known that can support me and not expect something in, something back in it? Because as a society we live in, no one does shit for free, mm. right? No one does anything for free. There's very few people in the human, in society because, unfortunately, I can't do everything for free. You can't do everything for free. I try to do as much as I can for free, and trying to get, I try to rev, get revenue from other areas now so that I can do things for free. But so that's where sometimes the hardest struggle is because we like, hey, that person wants to help me, and then you're worried that oh, if they help me, why are they helping you? And so it's, it's such a hard struggle of in society of trying to break down those molds um, and, and helping. I mean, one of your previous guests, Dave Latelli, is just a proof of that, right? Um, his story going through his darkest moments um, and then coming through the other side and, then, you know, his success in the boxing and they built up that image of him of being the bad boy um, when, he's hum- when he's a humble human being trying to change the world. And even him with all the stuff that he's trying to do, uh, he was on the radio a few weeks ago, trying to still say to them, break down these walls. We need people. We, there's two people on both sides. There's knowledge or support and people that need the knowledge and they need the support. We need to just, just bring them there. Man. Right? Man. We just need to put them there. 100%. 100%. That's, that's some heavy stuff, Lawrence. That's heavy. That's heavy also. That's like, mate, that's like, these are the things, kind of like, the, like an autobiography or a biography of, of, a, of a movie. I was like, this is a movie. When you're telling me this, it sounds like I'm, you're just, you're telling me about a movie. And for that to happen, and like you said, yeah, 2018, you had everything. Everything's, yeah, you're on the top of the mountain. Hey, I, I'm, yeah, I'm the king of the world. And just just a, a, a blink of, a, of, the, of an eye, just taken away. And so... Bro, I'm just I'm just curious to, to like you said, because it would have taken every ounce of your being to to like to swallow your pride and say, "Hey, I need help." Because you, like you were saying, mm-hmm. you had nothing. I couldn't pay the mortgage, and you talked about the, the glimmer of hope, the glimmer of light, mm-hmm. brother. So, how did what did you have to do? What did you have to like like practically? What did you have to do in your mind? You're talking to yourself. I need help. How who am, who am I going to talk to? How how am I going to say this? What was going through your mind when you're like, what the heck? I've I've lost everything, and your your wife, your kids. Mm-hmm. So what, 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 what describe for us? How did you have to push every ounce of your being to say, hey, I'm just gonna do it. I don't know what's gonna happen. I just need to do it. Tell us. Yeah, so I mean, so we're sitting at uh, uh, what's it, January, Jan, sort of January 2020, as I mentioned. Um, and there's that realization, like I said, couldn't pay a mortgage. Get the letter from the bank going, hey, you didn't pay your mortgage. I'm looking at the account going, hmm, I'm not going to pay the mortgage. I'm not going to be able to pay the mortgage the next month, let alone anything else, right? 
and then having this dilemma with my wife and it's uh, it was sitting there not knowing what to do and how to do it and it's, it's at those sort of moments where you can understand people that go the other way and you can understand it where people take what they say the easy way out because it just seems easier and you know I, I had to sit there and work through and think through how could I make this and but then remembered the I remembered my upbringing with my family and me coming over here and fighting you know as when I came over I was a foreigner so I didn't have you know to work through the process of getting the papers to become a citizen I'm a New Zealander now um, but I had to think about how hard I worked and my family and fighting for it and like I said is I had to think about it to the last end of the willingness of wanting to look or see if there's an opportunity. Um, and because I had that in me, and a lot of people don't, unfortunately, because they don't have, they weren't brought up to strive to that point or they don't have people around them. So you can imagine um, a youngster um, from overseas is in New Zealand now. Um, he's lost everything. He's lost his job. He can't find something. He can't pay. Where does, where does he go in that moment, right, to, to the support um, other than trying to find people out there? And, and, in, and in my moment, it was sitting there and thinking through the stuff that I still had and thinking it through of what I had and what I'd done to get what I had, my family, the importance of my family, my two young kids, uh, my parents were over here, um, all of that, the hard work we got into this point. Um, and like I said, because I was still willing to try and find it, I then had this rem remembrance of these people that I'd met. I didn't know if it was going to work. I didn't know if that that those people or those things were going to uh, be in place. And um, I just reached out to them. And like I said, is I didn't ask them. I reached out and said, hey, remember we hung out for a day and everything else. And I said, look, this is my situation. I'm, I'm, I'm in horrible situation. I need help. Can you help me? And begged them to um, show me if there was opportunities or what I could do um, through that time. And it was as simple, you know, in one instance of sitting down with someone from a financial position and going, okay, how do we figure out how to pay your next bill? Where can we change things? How do we pull things back? How do we bring in good habits or no, how do we change some of the bad habits that having all the success brought into your life? You know, takeaways and buying these things and buying these things and buying that thing that means nothing of nothing importance and changing that mindset of, okay, let's go back to, you know, in the in the real basic way, let's go back to baked beans and toast. Let's go back to the willingness. And again, this is where it's sometimes hard for some people and not hard for other, um, and sometimes hard for some people to others is the willingness to give up everything. I'd lost everything, but you still got to give up all your freedoms, not being able to go out, not being able to see friends, not being able to even go down the road and get a box of beers at 20 bucks. It's about giving the next layer of it and being the willingness to do that. And because I'd been in such a point of desperation, I said, I want to. I'm I'm happy to I'm happy to fight and give it all up and and do it to give to give me back to an opportunity of being normal. Um, I spoke to a, a person uh, actually in that year, and I remember it. And she asked me, "What is the biggest thing that you wanted to trying to achieve after your surgery?" And I said, 
I just wanted to be normal. I just wanted to be a normal person, normal family, normal human beings. And that was and that was one of, and that was one of the hard points of actually um, trying to do right because no longer I I was no longer normal. I was different, unique. Um, my wife would say pain in the ass, um, but now normality was no longer in my wheelhouse. Right, man, madness. Pick ups <laughs> just for for getting through all that. Just something you you talked about was sort of finding the light, and I I can't help but think about when you're down in the in, in the darkest moment of your life and just battling despair mm-hmm. and having to dig deep and find that resilience that maybe you didn't even know you needed um and something that randomly popped into mind was you know we talked about how chill we are here in New Zealand and yet our suicide rates are so high mm-hmm. and um I know for a lot of us who have been down in the dumps and and been in the darkness sometimes even having family around us that love us and, you know, you, you'll hear this from people who have passed and mm-hmm. the, the families of people who have passed who are like, why didn't they reach out? We would have helped them. Mm-hmm. And there's something about being crippled by that darkness mm-hmm. and, and not being able to find that light that just something, there's just a missing link there that we, we can't sort of fight our way out of. So yep. I just wanted to say big ups on, on getting through that and it's so tangible when you're describing it and, and it's, Striking a chord a little bit personally, mm-hmm. um, and so I'm, I'm just in awe, honestly, of you being able to come through that. Um, and so something I wanted to touch on was in that moment, were there words, and you talked a little bit about your father and mm-hmm. um, some of the words that he gave you, but I'm curious about any of those words, either whether it was from role models or um, people that maybe weren't with you then, but um, maybe people from your upbringing or your father or your parents, mm-hmm. um, just those words of wisdom and encouragement that sort of maybe helped you in that darkness, even if they weren't there directly, um, you know, going through it with you. Um, yeah, it was uh, It was a lot of it was, you know, the, the support at that moment, uh, the support through that, um, taking the steps um, the, and everything else. And it wasn't necessarily um, specific to the words for me, it was the understanding of or the perception of what I had in my life um, going through, um, taking it one step to the next. So like I said, um, six months before, their wealth to me was, you know, cars, money, traveling the world was wealth. After that, wealth to me was having family, having loves, being around people that loved you. That was wealth to me. That was where, so that was sort of the, um, having a words meaning change meaning of a word haven't changed so to me wealth today now has nothing to do with monetary value i don't seek monetary value wealth in my life anymore it doesn't doesn't mean anything to me at the moment um as like i said as I'll, you know i'm not going to say no if you give me free money but i don't chase it um yeah so i chase um it's that understanding of that wealth um and that point um again perception of different words of success um, different words of um, um, help, inspire. Um, I think inspire is one of the big things. So in the sense of what I thought of, of inspiring other people was, was being the person on the top of the mountain. But when I realized inspiring is being at the bottom of the mountain with the person and helping them climb that mountain. 
that's how you inspire people. And that's where some of my stuff now is never standing on top there again. I want everyone else to be up there. And I still want to be at the bottom helping the person take that first step. And it's to inspire them in the right way. And that's why the biggest people in the world that have made a difference, if you think of the biggest people, and I'm never ever saying myself in, in, this, in this caliber of people, but the biggest people in the world um, that, uh, that most people can believe always did that was Martin Luther King, Gandhi, Nelson Mandela. The, the whole world, you know, everyone in agreement that they were good blokes, right? And they did that sort of meant, and they got that realization through their lives that the inspire making a difference is not standing there looking down it's standing at the bottom and pushing up man because it sounds like a rule it's, it's a massive dramatic change mm. and, it's, and it's just a a massive transformation from, from someone who's got all this material stuff and even you know, money and, and wealth your family's intact everything is, is great and obviously, you know, like Jay was saying, props to you for having for mustering that, that courage. Mm-hmm. And then there may be other guys who are watching this. Say, well, I can relate to what, you, what, you're, what you're saying, mm-hmm. what you're talking about. But how about they do, I'm thinking about those other guys who are like, hey, man, I've never had, I was never rich, uh, never raised up in, in, a, in a wealthy family, and who are going through some trauma and some some real hard times. But I want to touch touch on what you said. You said, you know, in the midst of your adversity, in the midst of your, you know, just despair, mm-hmm. you didn't think, oh, woe is me, or I need to look for something inspirational, the glimmer of hope. But you said something that's very, for me, it's very profound because you said fight, mm-hmm. fight. And I'm not too sure. I don't. I'm not sure how other men view this. But when you say fight, well, you, you you're saying fighting for your life, eh? Mm-hmm. You're fighting for you're fighting for you're fighting for your life. You're fighting for your family. You're fighting for for just for who you are. And so in that fight, because I'm wondering as well. Was there ever a time where you said, you know what, stuff this, I can't do this, you know what? And like, you, it's kind of like you got two, you had an angel and a demon on, on, on both sides of your shoulders, like, yeah, I, I just, I can't do this. Was there ever a time where you're like, I just can't do this? Or um, quit? Um, there was hard moments, don't get me wrong. I'm, I don't want to, I don't want to use the word happy to say I'd never, I never knocked on that door. It was close, but I never knocked on the door where I had to let the devil in. Um, and I don't know if it was just uh, the 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 urge to to fight and to make it no matter what. Um, that that still that was still within me that that uh, that took me down that path. Now, by all means, uh, a lot of the listeners of the audience might not necessarily have that fire and stuff, and that's where the struggle comes from, right? Where that when they knock on that door, where they go to that door that looks easier, and the devil comes in. That's when, unfortunately, the devil doesn't leave. Um, and it is, like you said, you know, there could be guys that's listening at the moment that, that didn't have the opportunity, the upbringing, having the friendships be around or the people around. And that's what I said about earlier is we, there is, that's where the gap is. We've got this, this, this community or this group or this individuals or these people out there that on the one side need it. They, they, they might not know they need it and they might be too humble or they might be too proud. And this is unfortunately a cultural thing that we struggle with that they don't ask it. And we've got people on the other, and there's people on the other side that are willing to do that and support and to do it. And culturally, some, and this is the, you know, if you can, if you, if you can figure out this mis, this this middle ground and put it in a bottle, like they say, you can have magic in a bottle. It's just bringing those two two together. And you know, I try and fight it every day and try and do it as much as I can by reaching out and finding out from people. And when I meet people and and offering, you know, my time and saying, hey, if you want to just, if you just want to 
talk to me, phone me, talk to me. I'm happy to talk you through my stories. I'm happy to talk through my darkness and I can at least relate to what someone's going through. By all means, reach out to me. I might not solve all your problems, but at least I've been on my ladder. And it might not be the same as your ladder, but it's still a bloody hard ladder that I had to fight out of and can talk to you and have an appreciation. And I think there's never a magic bullet for anyone. And that's something we've got to we've got to try to culturally, or uh, you know, throughout the world, we we cannot put a, a magic bullet on the table saying that's going to solve depression, that's going to solve suicide, that's going to solve you know um, you know anything else, uh, you know any medical condition we see now. They're like, okay, that tablet will solve it. That will solve it for one percent of the population. What about the other ninety nine percent? But because we're solving it for them, we're forgetting about those people. And I know that that's where we're trying to lead to is how do, I, how do I solve it for those other people? I can't tell you how I can solve it for other people. I can just tell you that I'm willing to help to try and solve it for those other people. That's cool. That's cool. Well, let's, let's touch on that because on the second part of the journey, because you're saying it's all about helping others, mm-hmm. giving to others now, and, and, and the wealth of knowledge and experience that you have. Yep. And I love the fact, I, lo- I do, I love, it. I love it that you say, hey, Nate, my life has turned upside down, it's changed, I'm on... You know, I see things different now. So tell us in terms of the journey thus far, how have you been able to help others now and, and, and the transformation of, of sharing your story and, and so forth? Um, yeah, so, so coming, out of, coming out of that stuff and the side of it, I still had the social media brand. I still have the Wolf of Queen Street. Um, there was still the, the property knowledge I had um, and the property stuff that finally I could stabilize and get back into the game after a couple of years. And, then, and like I said, it was that realization that, A, people need help. People don't have the help or people need the knowledge, right? Um, and I went, okay, but I've got knowledge in social media, podcasting and the property game. Why not give it out? Why not just share it? Why not coach people for free? Why not help people launch podcasts for free and help people um, do social media and tell them everything that I know? Because again, there was like that uh, that realization that no one's ever going to be Lawrence. I'm only going to be Lawrence. So that wealth, you know, I'm willing to share that wealth and share that, edu- um, that education. Um, and then, again, in New Zealand, is you either, unfortunately, the time we live in, you either have not or the, the have or the have nots. And in New Zealand, one of the big things of the have and have nots is property, right? You either love it or you hate it because you're either on this side or you're on this side. And it's one of the biggest cultural divides in countries out there that must be right from a property within New Zealand. And then that's when there was the, the realization of mine of, you know, having my education and been taught and been shown and everything else going, but hold on. This, as much as you think it's special and you think this knowledge is amazing and changes lives, it does. But why can't you have it? But why do you have to pay for it? Why can't you have it? But why do you have to pay for it? But I've got it. But you don't have to pay me. So there was that realization of, you know, the stuff that we need to know, which is actually important. You know, you go through school and they teach you all the stuff. You come out of school and realize that it's all bullshit. 90% of you learn, don't go, education's great, by the way. Education's great. Just subtly in there, right? But certain education is right and certain education just doesn't help us, in, you know, in, in the future in our lives. Like when I grow up, you know, what, what, as much as, you know, the history and geography and some of those stuff, right? And, um, you know, they had uh, woodwork class and um, things like that. As, yes, you could do some of those things, but I come into the real world and we live in an IT world and a social media world and this stuff. And um, 
what are the kids going to know, right? Um, if they don't understand how the, the real things things work, and that's where my understanding of with the knowledge that I had, I was like, cool, because I no longer chase the wealth of monetary value, or it's not important to me, and but I know other people might need it to survive, pay their bills, overcome things I've come into. Can I just help them by sharing it to them and giving it to them? So can by mentoring people for free, giving my time for free, can that possibly help someone get up their mountain? And that's what, and that's where it's come to the real. That's where it's got to the point now that ninety nine percent of I say ninety nine percent because one percent needs to try and help it out. But ninety nine percent of what I really do is I, I do it for free, and I help and I give away. And I might not be the best. I might not know the most. But I'll give you what I have, and you can guarantee that there will be no hook in it, because I get sick and tired of those hooks in life. Right? Uh, you go on social media, oh, get this, and then there's a hook in the corner. Yeah. Get this, there's a hook on this corner. Right? I'll help you. Come down here, and then there's another hook on that. We sh- we we shouldn't live in society like that. We need. We need to inspire and change culturally and be able to give everyone the equal opportunity and let them become their best versions of themselves. Whether they go on and become sports stars and doctors and becoming rap stars or whatever. But the problem is they're not all on the same playing field because some had the opportunity to get more up front. What would happen you know, if they all had the same playing field? How different would we be culturally? We would see the best in the world. And that's the sort of stuff that we need to... Um, to go out there and there's there's very few people I know that's you know wanting to share this stuff and give away this stuff because they, they they feel too precious about it yeah man you, you you're changing the game you're changing the game because there will be some people watching this hey hey Lawrence say hey, what are you doing man you're changing the game for us man this people should be paying for this and all that and then and you're right because some people are thinking hey okay what's what's the what's the catch you know after you, know, you say this and then you kind of do a purchase oh what's the catch but you're doing this out of the, out of the goodness of your heart mm-hmm. and because of the, the changes and what's, what's happened to you. And so have you come across people with like, hey, what is this? Is this a kind of like a gimmick or something? Or what, what, what's this all about? And and when you, by giving them and helping them uh, with whatever uh, the knowledge you're giving them, how, how has it been for you in terms of them saying, oh, Chuck, this is the real deal. Mm-hmm. He really is trying to help us. There's no strings attached. Yep. I've I've seen some real interesting sides of it. I've had um, people that are like, no, nah, there must be a catch and not interested. Um, I've had people come out and go, hey, you can't do this, you know, because you, by you doing this, you're going to affect me yeah, doing yeah, it. Yeah. Um, but I'm doing it because there's enough, there's more people in the world. There's almost, I think this month or next month, we pass 8 billion people. I can, I'm likely only going to help maybe a thousand or ten thousand people in my life. You can have the other seven billion, nine hundred million, whatever. You can have them. If I can help one person, that's what's, that's worth it, right? So don't don't say you're going to lose your opportunity because of me. I'm, I might feel that I'm helping enough people. I'm never going to help help them all or more people, right? Or too many people. Um, so you do see from that side of things. Um, I've had a lot of people coming going, oh yeah, this is going to be basic, this is going to be what it is. And then they come through and they do, oh, you know, I used to do eight-week courses, um, two hours of my time, I'd give up 20 hours of my time live with me in front of a camera. And they turn around, I've had people turn around and go, holy crap, you should be charging like two, $3,000 for that. And I'm like, no, I don't care. Um, I had people offer me money afterwards going, hey, I can't take that for free. 
And I was like, no, I'm not interested. And it's just um, not to be precious. It's just that's not my journey, me, my journey, my family journey. That's just not me anymore and what, what, I, what, what I'm about. Um, and then it's funny because slowly, you, you know, you let, you let your, you know, in a weird saying, you let your children out to the wild with this new learning and you wait a bit of time. And then like three or six months later, your children come back with a, with a new wider family that come to you and go, hey, that person said you helped them and look where they are. Are you willing to help me? And it's like, by all means, I am. Um, and then seeing bigger people or more important people in certain instances going, hey, I need help or I need guidance in this. Are you willing to do that? Um, and yeah, I am. And, and, and it's amazing. It's not happening drastically as quick because it's funny again culturally and this shows you a wrong culture if i was charging 30 dollars or 20 dollars an hour for my time to help someone people would take me more seriously and look at me in more professional manner than me going hey i'll do it for free and i've been told this by people in the network circle going you won't grow because you don't have a price on what you're doing and it's like how illogical is that yeah. And that just uh, that just shows you the psychology and the, the the dilemma we have in the culture point of view that everything A to B gets done because there's a hook and C. Man, man. it is. Man, you are you you you're turning it upside down, um, Lawrence. Because you know people always talk about hey, adding value, adding value so you can increase the value of of your price and yep. and, and and who you are. But you're turning it upside down. You say hey, you're like hey, my my value is, is something different in terms of I want to give to people. Mm-hmm. And, and and it goes back to what you were saying earlier on, in terms of this bro, why you're not you're not probably not getting the, the the traction that you you should be getting, bro, because a lot of us are not asking. Yep. We're, not, we're, not, we're not asking. We're not because uh, you think of property, you know, you 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 mentor people in property and business and social media. People, man, in this day and age, people are like getting houses. I want to get a house. This is still the dream. Yep. And even New Zealand, and and you're giving these this advice for free, and so. People need to ask, and then more so than just what you're teaching, but also as mental health and all that. Mm. People need to ask, and, that, and you would agree that yeah, people need We'd, to be asking. Yeah, we need to be asking for help. Yeah. You know, but but that to a certain person that asking for help could be that first step. Remember, I said the first step's the hardest, and depending on if it's just hey, someone reaching out and going, hey, dude, how how do I how do I do TikToks? How do I make social media or something like that? That's not their first step. That's just them reaching out and doing it. But to the to the one person, to the, maybe to the one person that's listening tonight, them reaching out and just reaching out and going, "Hey, Lawrence," just doing that alone could be the, one of the hardest steps for them right now, because by doing that, it's them acknowledging that I'm consciously going to reach out to a person, Lawrence, because I might want to have a conversation with him about something I'm struggling with. I might want to ask him if there's someone else I can talk to or go with or where should or what I should do to that sort of person. And it is, we want, we want, we need culture people to feel that they can do that and do that more. Um, but again, it's not, again, it's, there's no silver bullet of how do we solve that. Um, New Zealand, how do we solve that? We, we spoke about it earlier, one of the chilled, relaxed cultures in the world, right, outside of maybe Hawaii, where they're about another 10 years slower, right? But culturally, we still have one, I think it's still the highest childhood suicide rate in the world. When they release those reports, I can't read them. 
when I when they release those reports on the front page of the news, I cannot read them because when you go and read, if you've ever read the reports, and you look at the suicide rates for kids under the age of ten, so like my boy, and seeing kids under the age of ten, kids that don't even know what life is, haven't even done everything and laughed the most laughs they're going to laugh, and they're still peewee little things, and you see numbers next to seven-year-olds and eight-year-olds and nine-year-olds not getting through because shit is too hard. That breaks your heart as a parent. And I wish there was a silver bullet. I wish there was a silver bullet that, you know, if there was money or something that could go and go, and that will solve it. But until we can try and figure that out, we still just got to go out and try and make that difference and try and help. And to anyone listening and watching this series, if you're on that first, if you're at that bottom step at the moment and you want to do it, just with all your will and your might, take that first step, please. Because I can tell you from my experience, that first step you might feel like there's a hundred miles to get to where you need to be. Once you've taken that first step, everything is simpler from there. Not saying it's easy, it just gets a bit simpler from there. And if you're taking that first step in the right way of asking or talking to someone, then all of a sudden you two people together going through that journey. It's cool. And you're not alone. Well said. You're, yeah, you're right. And I want to touch on that as well because, you know, obviously the, the latest stats is one in five young people, two mm-hmm. youth, one people are, uh, are thinking of, of seriously uh, suicide attempts. Mm-hmm. So that's 12% up from 2007, 2008. And so you, 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 you described, obviously, we all know as Kiwis, you know, we chilled, relax, you know, happy go lucky. But what is it? What is it about us? And also, some, even some of the rates in terms of our, our men are, are very high. What is it about our nation that is causing us, and, and also some of the men, what, what do you think it is in terms of societal pressures? What is it? Or trauma? What, what's, what's happening as to why we uh, are, are taking our lives? You, you've got a double-edged sword, and I, I, and I know at the moment someone's going to be watching this and going to be throwing their shoe or something at the TV, or if they're watching across YouTube on a TV or their phone and throwing it and going. But there's a double-edged sword in this. And I'm not saying this is acceptable, not saying this is... But in a culture, you go through cycles. And, and as something happens in culture and it almost gets inverted comments, acceptable... It gets seen as an option. So we've got this. We've got a very big dilemma, right? We've got suicide rates, um, you know, depression, all that stuff is a dilemma. And unfortunately, because the path that it's taken and the, the lack of support that's been given to these people that need it for generations or for a generation, the way out is the door with the devil. And now our kids are grown up, seeing that that's an option, and hearing that it's an option, and knowing that it's an option and we're not giving them the right education to say, hey, I know that there's that door there and the devil's there, but there's actually something else on the side and it's a better option. And it's that, like I said, it's a double-edged sword that because it's happening, seeing and in knowledge and hearing, all of a sudden, to me, it's an opportunity, it's a, it's a chance, something I can take. Um, and... I've I know of more deaths and murders and deaths out of South Africa from the nasty side of that, and very 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 few of the ones compared to from suicide compared to on the New Zealand side, 
And again, I don't know if it's a cultural thing of you're fighting so much to survive that, like I said, is you fighting for the life just to be living and to be breathing that you're never going to allow yourself to go to that door. You're going to fight till, you know, life consumes you and takes you. And it's an interesting one. I was looking at the stat the other day with my dad. My dad's in his late 60s and every week or other week at the moment he tells me about a school, high school friend or a sports uh, friend that has passed away, uh, similar to my dad's age, all back in South Africa. And I was like, it's, it, it's weird. Like, my dad's to me, is young. He's a young guy. He coaches, he coaches sport with me. We coach my boys' soccer team. And I went and actually did some research, and it was crazy that in South Africa, the average age, the average mortality rate for a male is high 60s. In New Zealand, it's in the 80s. There's almost 15 years difference between the average lifespan of a male in New Zealand to the male in South Africa. And we sat down and actually talked to my dad and my mom that day and we're like, what's the difference? You know, my dad moved to New Zealand only um, when he was 50, or it's past 50, so majority of his life, you know, experiencing what's the difference. And it was sort of that, and he said it, what we're talking about, the, the fighting, the anxiety, the stress of everything else. So you, you push hard there. It just takes days off your life. So, um, and that's why the guys die of, you know, heart attacks and distress and the other conditions. But, you know, bringing it back around is that fighting means that the easy way out is not, it doesn't mean people aren't doing it over there. But maybe in the sense from, yeah, from being more of a relaxed culture and everything else and that double-edged sword uh, it's seen as an opportunity. It's seen as a, uh, an option that I have, and like I said to anyone out there at the moment, please don't throw something at the TV or don't throw your cell phone at the moment. It's just maybe the way it is. Uh, I don't know. I can't say um, why it is that way. Like again, if I could, we could put it in that bottle and make it magic. Mm-hmm. That's Damn. cool, man. That's cool. Well said. Yeah, that's interesting. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is very interesting. Oh, mate. Um, <laughs> it makes me, because it, it, it was so funny, uh, Lawrence, because you would think, you would think growing up in South, um, South Africa in Cape Town and the things, you would have seen some crazy things. You know, you talk about the, you know, your dad coming and the stress and so forth, but you would have seen some crazy things out, in the, out there, some real violent stuff. Like, man, for you to get, bro, oh man, that door, the knocking at the devil's door, man, that's, that's an easy option. But you come here in New Zealand, it's quite chill and all that, and you it's just, uh, would be amazing, or a major contrast but in terms of um, people asking for help or men in general trying to ask for help and getting their help, what do you think needs to, to change for us mentally to take that first step to say, okay, because you talk about the fight, but what do you think as a culture in New Zealand, what needs to happen to change to say, hey, okay, I'm just going to ask. I'm not going to be afraid to ask. I'm going to normalise it. What, did, what needs to, to take place or in your mind? In terms of normalizing, ask just ask for help. Because you haven't talked a little bit about um, like the doctor thing, mm-hmm. and like for guys, and I don't know if that's like guys worldwide, or if it's guys in <laughs> South Africa and New Zealand, or if it's you know what it is. Yeah. But even on that angle as well, like there's just something about asking for help. Or I, I think, I think we need as a society to move off that the man, that the old way, that the man is the man of the house. That the man is the person that stands there on top and protects and bees always and does all. That that we the caveman that that knocks the the scary things away in in society. Don't get me wrong, you know, a, um, a man has his place and and has we push. 
but we've pushed it in such a point that the man's supposed to be that big guy and the, the burly person that bangs his chest and shows that I protect everything, I strong and I and I scare everything away. And therefore, by me being that means I can't be weak and I can't be emotional and I can't ask for help. So we need to, again, I think my thought patterns outside of you know help uh, giving people more opportunity to ask for help and showing a safe space and giving them the knowledge where they can go and people that they, they can talk to i think we got to raise the future generations of showing that we're all the same you know we all we all it's okay to be emotional it's okay to be soft it's okay to feel that weakness and like again i got i think people are going to be throwing shit at the tv um but that whole man cave mentality is where a lot of it comes from. Now, I grew up in South Africa, so we were driven to success. You know, I can see New Zealand, the cultures from the islands, right? The man stands on top of that mountain and he protects his fauna and everyone else from anyone that's coming around, right? That's the culture for generations that's happened. So why would he ever think it's acceptable to be soft and emotional and ask for that help? Mm. No, and that's not going to change in a generation, right? Because culturally, you still got to stand in front there, right? Our men stand in front of sports with the haka and show to be, we'll fight you to the death and everything culturally in, in New Zealand. But in the same breath, we want those guys to be willing to be able to go, hey, by the way, something's wrong. So that's where, from my side coming out and looking into it, especially in New Zealand, where you've got strong family ties and the bloodlines from the islands and the culture and the history of New Zealand, it's about strength. You know, it's about culture and family and standing there and being protective. And But then we want that person to say it's okay to not be that protective or being that strong. And how do you do that? Because that's the way I see it of how to solve it is how do you, how do you allow that person to ask, you know, as men, we... we we don't ask that for help. But in New Zealand, how do you culturally take that um, generational bringing up of being the strength and supporting and doing everything with your family and then having those those moments? And that's where it's, it's those guys that do this, or sometimes the strongest ones that fall the furthest. And sometimes it's those ones that don't come out of it. You saw when COVID hit, there was article after article of a dad with young family that ran a business that went in bankrupt and they couldn't get out of it because the man, the saviour and the family and the culturally that says he's supposed to be the one that's the success and he's the one that's supposed to bring everything in, that all fell out. And culturally, we're like, he's supposed to look after. As a culture, we all look after there's husbands, there's wives, there's partners, there's, you know, there's moms, moms, dads, dads, whatever. We all look after it. And we need to get off that culture of that high horse that it's that person and this person. Because if we keep putting that person there, that person's never going to know how to react and do things better when they, when they are from there and they come down to you. Because they're not going to accept it, and not going to be willing to accept or know how to accept it. Mm -hmm. Good point. Good point. And and you're right in terms of uh, you. Know, you could be that individual, that man, that mas the masculine man. He's like he's the leader, 
And it always, it always comes down to me. And for me personally, um, as well, Lawrence, and you can agree or disagree, um, Jay, a lot of it for me, it kind of stems in terms of Pacific Islanders and, and cultural, and I think for other other nations, is, is pride. Mm-hmm. It is, it's, it's, it's something that just, it's just hard to break. And if you're stuck in this in, in, in for, for so long and you've been taught this for, for generations, mm-hmm. pride is, is a, it can be a killer in terms of trying to ask help for help, change. Why, why will a six-year-old ask any question, but a 16-year-old won't? What happens between six and 16? Right? Yeah, yeah. Society, the pressures, the culture. A six-year-old will ask the most random, inappropriate questions at the <laughs> worst times, right? Any family man, any family that has a, a mom or dad that has had a kids, they will stand in front of a group of people and say the worst thing and embarrass you but they would never fear to ask that question. And again, it's what what goes from six to 16? I understand there's hormones and the kids figuring out their ways in life and where do I fit into place, but what, what changes in society pressures and things that we push on them, right? And it's because we want the perfect kid. We want the perfect boy. We want the perfect girl. There's more things in boys and girls and the weather paths they take and whether you support or you don't support it. How about just supporting them as a human being, irrespective? Make them a better human being, whatever path they take. Lie on them to make the mistakes and support them along the way and saying it's perfectly fine to fall over and knock your knee. And I'm here. Because by the time they're 16, they're too afraid to ask the questions. By the time it's 26, it's impossible to ask that question or impossible willing to feel that I can ask that question because it's so ingrained. Mm. Man. Yeah, no, that sort of makes me think about the um, the sort of double-edged sword of some of those positive attributes, things like um, legacy and family and tradition. Um, the flip side is that because, uh, at least in, the, in some of the Pacific families, like this is the way things have always been done, mm-hmm. so this is the way they should always be done. Correct. And anything venturing outside of that, um, you're sort of in no man's land, you don't get supported. And, and one of our other guests, Dom, had talked about the dangers of things like reputation mm-hmm. and how family reputation can be used as sort of a, a, a knife um, against members of their own family mm-hmm. when they go through trauma and things like that. So, um, yeah, it's just interesting, the duality of our society, um, those things that you know we can give praise to, are also some of the things that cripple us um, to a degree. And, and it sort of made me think, when you're talking about magic in a bottle, mm-hmm. um, why do we need a bottle? Like sometimes, you know, even just the structures that we yep. exist in is like, yeah, we, we want to have this... this magical healing um, and yet the only way it can happen is also the thing that keeps it limited to those who are inside the bottle if that mm-hmm. makes any sense it's a bit of a yeah, ramble yeah. but yeah, cool, <laughs> it totally does it should be a jitty jitty in a bottle <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, the, but you, you bring an interesting point on um, Lawrence and yeah, you're right I guess when you're kids you know we, we're, there's this innocence there that you know we just we're just able to just be free and just and share and you, you said it you know um, but it was it any, uh, give us an example of an experience when your child was just like, yeah, because we're, we're not prone to say, hey, you need to act a certain way. But give us, a, was it an experience uh, or an example that your, your child kind of just said something, hey, hey, what are you doing? But at home it's like, it's normal. Mm-hmm. Well, you do it in public, say, like, hey, hey, you can't do that. Um, 
I would have to think back. My daughter's my daughter's thirteen, turning fourteen, so it's been a good few years when you know since she's been six. Um, but I, I, I know, I know. Here's one I know with my daughter, with my mom. So um, when my daughter, when my daughter's growing up, uh, my wife was mummy, and grandma was mommy. Okay, so it's subtle difference, right? So all the other way around. It's been a good few years, and so my my mom would take, so grandma would take. Um, my daughter out and then my daughter would shout out to grandma you know sex like oh mommy you know and and grandma would be like no no it's grandma it's grandma because to her she felt almost like a little bit embarrassed like how could this be my kid and you know that's the yeah, sort of yeah, that's yeah. the sort of thing to so go no the kid wants to be that way actually here's your structure you should fit in the structure right and you know thinking of it now that you know they, that's a sort of example of, of going hey no don't conform that way don't do it your way, conform my way. Um, you know, and that's the that's a slow that's the subtle slow things. That that's a simple one, right? That didn't doesn't really change the way my, my daughter's raised. But that's a small sort of examples that as we do things, um, as our kids grow up and go into society, that we don't really realise the impact it has onto them, right? Mm. Um, um going up and not being willing to express their emotions, um, being able to feel that they can express their emotions. Um, ask any dad who's got a teenage daughter whether their daughter will be willing to talk to them or not. <laughs> you That's know, scary. so <laughs> oh, tell me about it. Tell me about it. Um, so yeah, so it's, it's it's like how do we how do we work through that? Um, you know, and that that's where it is how do you work that how does uh, how do you work with through with your boy going through a teenage and him trying to find his place and, and having that freedom and stuff and again just, there's so much different in the cultures right so many different in some cultures supporting other cultures it's just like okay i grew up i became a man at 14 you got to figure it out so figure it out by yourself right and then this kid doesn't know how to go with life or where to go and who do I ask and it's just, it's just these challenges. And I can speak to that 100%. I mean, think back to primary school, at least when I think back to my days at school, how small life was. Life mm. consisted of getting up, having breakfast, going to school, coming back, playing with your friends and then coming mm. back and that was life yeah. until you got to you know the tail end of high school and then everyone sort of was asking you what are you going to do with your life and you're like, what do you mean? <laughs> like, this is this yeah, has been my life for so many years, and just how scary that feeling was getting out of high school. And everyone seems to know that you know people are going to university, and everyone seems to have an idea on what they want to do. And you're sort of just stuck in the sand, like looking around <laughs> trying to find what the hell am I supposed to do? And it's such a scary feeling. And I think you touched on um, having conversations, you know, being able to talk about the way the world is, mm -hmm. even at some of the younger ages, just to help plant some of those seeds for. It's, it's about it's about doing it in the right way. So mm. one of the things that as a dad, I'm, I'm really proud that we're able to do with my kids is we've been able to keep the childhood fantasy as long as possible. So my daughter's 13 to going on 14. My boy turns 11 in a couple months as well. And we still watch animation movies and the fantasies. And we still uh, want to do, if we can, do the theme parks and have that craze and um, keep that fantasy of the childhood as long as possible. Uh, um, I'm a big animation fan and Disney fan, so is my wife. I mean, I've got a Peter Pan tattoo on my chest because I'm a kid at heart. Um, so with us, we've tried to keep that as long as possible because we all grew up too quick in some of our situations, right? Uh, we, because we had to, because of cultural, because of family, and sometimes, and you can never get that back. 
Now I've got 70 years to be an adult. You only get like 16 years to be a kid. Um, and there was an article that just released this week. I read that as a parent, 90% of the time you will spend with your child will happen by the age of 19. So by the time of 19, 90% of all the time you will spend with your child, unless they're lazy and they don't leave home till they're 30, you know, but 90% of the time as a parent that you'll spend around and be with your child will happen to the age of 19. The last 10% after 19, you only spend 10% with them because they the guy to the world and they will go and grow and marry and live in their own space. And so that's the sort of stuff of, and why do we why do we need to sometimes push that stuff too much further along, right? Our, our lifespan's going uh, longer and longer. Mm-hmm. New Zealand is 81, I think 81 and change oh, for the men, 83 and change for um, the females. Uh, females always outlive the men because um, they're smarter in most instances and don't do dumb <laughs> shit like we do. Um, and... <laughs> And, you know, and the other side of the things is like, I can remember as a kid, I remember growing up and going, when someone hit 60, they were old, right? And, you know, my, my dad, my, you know, and now my dad's almost 70. Don't go there, don't go there, don't go there, And then I'm like, my dad's, and now I go, my dad's almost, my dad's almost 70 and he's still, to me, he's still young. He's still a kid and young and, you know, and stuff like that. And that's the sort of stuff of, you know, again, in a, in a weird circle of a lot of the freedom as the child to grow and understand it without us imposing our crap on them, what we think. In America, there's so much cultural divide, right? In America, they've got a they've got a different dilemma in America compared to what we have in New Zealand. They've got the, they're the only country in the world where kids go and kill other kids, mm. right? And again, they same they've got a dilemma there, like we've got the suicide here, and no one can put a finger on it of explaining. Take the guns away, they say. Yeah, it will solve it. Um, education will solve it. But still, it's it's a weird, in, in that country, that's their dilemma. In our country, it's the suicide. And it's, you know, it's one of those weird things. We, we can't figure it out, but we can just try and help mm. and be part, you know, and support and stuff like that. That's true, man. That's true. Because we talk, we talk about the societal pressures and all that, but sometimes the onus really comes down to us, eh? Mm-hmm. As, as parents, and you're right. You, you, they're, 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 you're right. I'm seeing that now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Cause I remember I record my, my son. My son and I, we have this kind of joke. We we mock people or mock each other. And then they go, hey, just don't do it in public. And then mm-hmm. my, my poor son's like, oh, it's all right. And he does it in public. Hey, what are you doing? Yeah. And you're right. He gets confused. Like, but you, dad, we just at home was just normal. We just yeah. stick around. Now you're telling me not to do it. So you do mixed mix messaging, you know, yeah. that kind of stuff. Just, yeah. Man, yeah, it's interesting because I, I, um, I, I've got two young kids at home. One's three, one's six months. And, Enjoy. Um, yeah, Enjoy. yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm doing my best to soak it <laughs> as long as you can. Yeah. Yeah. There's a part of me that thinks about like the kind of person they'll be growing up and the kind of example and the impact and legacy that I'm going to have on them. And um, there's a part of me that thinks about you know the hardship growing up and how I don't want them to have to go through that. And there's a there's a part of me that's sort of angry at the hardship because when I look back, I think it was so unnecessary and why did why were things like that? And and so my whole thing has been about trying to prep them for what the real world's going to be like. Yeah. But hearing your perspective on like letting them enjoy childhood, um, let, you know, let, that, that let magical them be, side of it, yeah, is, is interesting. I use the word humans more than I ever had in the last few years because it encases us all. We need to just 
be a human, be a child, you know, don't let them be. What I was going to say, say is, you know, um, in three months, uh, you know, so what you said, three years and six months or something, let all as a parent, and I look back at mine is, all I wish I could have done more with my kids is just do more smiles. Just make them smile more. Whatever we did to make that happen, that's all we should be doing. If that means sitting there and singing some stupid song 30 times or watching Blue's Clues for 10 hours um, or going on a swing or something, that's all as the kid, that's all they need from us. You know, kids only, would just, all kids want is our time and our love. They don't care that it's a. They don't care it's a swing that has you know gold on the side and it's comfy and you know as a kid I can remember my some of my favorite memories doing the most weirdest randomest cheap ass stuff, but it was amazing because I was doing it with either other friends or my family, right? And then that's the sort of stuff we should just be doing more with our kids, just going out and laughing and giggling and doing the silly stuff and you know enjoy as as long as they're young, make more smiles. Well said, man. That's well said, and and it, it is so cool, um, Lawrence, because you do you you're very authentic, and it is it's hard now in this day and age. You know, people are looking high and low for people who are authentic, who are their real. And you, and you hear it all the time now: be authentic, be your real self. But what does it what does it really mean? Because I'm just thinking, what does it mean as, in terms of for us as men? What does it mean to be authentic, to be real? Because people have different de- definitions of mm-hmm. authenticity. But what what does it mean for you? Like for you to be your real, true self. I think it's, I think it's that realization. Like I said, is that I'm a, I'm me, and I'm only ever going to be me, and I'm never going to be anyone else. S- some of my people I look up to, the likes of Gary V. Grant Cardone in the entrepreneurship, the property space, uh, Tony Robbins. I went to his events, got to meet him, so those sort of stuff. And many many years ago, I was like, I want to be them. I want to be in front of a stage of a million people and motivating people and driving people. But it's the. Um, being true to myself, but also understanding, we spoke about a thing was off air saying, doing what makes you happy. Not do necessarily what you're good at, do what makes you happy, right? Um, and what you're passionate about um, and being true to that. So my realization is I was doing stuff that gave me stuff that I thought I enjoyed or what is important to me. And my brain tumor showed me what actually is important to me and where I'm good at and what I love to do. And um, I was speaking, um, I was speaking um, to someone today and I said, I would, if I could just make sure that my nine to five income that I had was covered, I would go and do 12 hours of charity work every day for the rest of my life. Because that is what is true to myself, what I've realized as me is what I want to do is do that. And it's that um, understanding. And some people get that. Some people understand that. Some people never do it. They just go through their life. They live a great life, have amazing memories and do that sort of stuff. And other people realize that late in life, um, what is important and being true to their self. Um, the people that are really true, public and everything else, are the, are the ones that when they leave the room, everyone in the room can agree that that is a good human being. That is how you know that if you've been true to yourself is the perception, I don't care about other people's perception anyway, but from an example is the perception of other people when you leave the room. Now, I know in the, my 20s when I left the room, everyone's like, thank God he's left. I know that because I was an asshole and I was loud and everything else. I know that was the like I heard. 
But I hope now that when I leave the room, people go, hey, he's trying to make a difference. Um, and and I think that's how it's, you know, being true to yourself is um, realizing what is you, what is you down to the core of what you want to achieve and be and um, what you're passionate about and doing that. So many people out there are doing something because they feel they need to do it, but there's another passion they can do it here on the side that they really want to do. And I know you're saying, hey, I can't do my passion because I have to pay bills. How about sit down, talk to someone and figure out the path to do that? You want to be a passion to go out and help people. You want to be the passion. Dave Letelli, he's one of the biggest inspirations in my life mm-hmm. that I've seen and most of us have seen, right? He does what he does. I know he works hard at it. I know he does many, many hours of it. Um, I'm happy to say when I phone him, he answers the phone. Um, and But he's doing what he's passionate about, about but he had to go through uh, other realisation and all the rest of it and find that path and then start from the bottom and work that way. Because nothing is a, is a greater feeling when someone pats you on the shoulder or comes in to do it and going, you are making that difference. And the thing that you are doing is the thing that you're passionate about. Because that, there's, there's no better feeling. Is making a difference. You're helping someone. You're doing something different. You, you, you're joyful. You're being great. You've been a great human being. You know, some people's passion might be out there because they want to grow a garden for the rest of their life. By all means, do that. But sometimes it's struggle to get between where they're stuck in their life now to where they need to be. There is opportunities to transition from one to the other. But knowing that, hey, we just need to be able to talk to people, reach out to people and try and figure out how do we go from year to year. Maybe it takes two years or three years because I've got to put other things into place to become true to myself and then do what I'm passionate about. Cool, man, brother. That's yeah. cool. That's wicked. I'm curious about a couple of things, but I'll start with the first one. Um, how was your your wife sort of, you know, you mentioned before um, sort of some of the differences coming out of that dark period, mm-hmm. but in terms of, uh, I just had the thought of like, if I told my wife, oh yeah, I'm going to, I'm not going to, I want to be giving out, you know, working for free essentially, but finding other ways to pay the bills, um, she might wring my neck. <laughs> so I'm curious about your wife getting behind the vision or supporting your vision, getting alongside it, what that journey was like for you. Yeah, so I, like I said, I still have a nine to five. I'm self-employed um, in the IT industry. So luckily enough, that pays my bills and pays my passion. Um, yes, yeah, so, uh, like I said, I just did a um, um, campaign just a couple of months ago on social media, giving away 1,500 of my hours. So I sat down with her going, hey, I want to give away 1,500 hours of my time. And she's like, what are you talking about? I'm like, it's, it's literally like every spare hour for the rest of the year. And, and, I, but, and I just turned to her and I said, hey, I, I said to it, I'll do it after family time. So I went and booked out my calendar from like 8.30, 8.30 at night to 12.30 at night, put it on a calendar. And anyone that wants my time, their, their calendar is, exists, they can book the time in it. So it's like Monday to Thursday. So it's about 20 hours, you know, uh, 20, 30 hours a week. That time is available to anyone. And I said, oh, it'll be outside of family time. It'll be outside of when we're on the weekends. It's the time that I'm normally on social media. I just want to do that to help it. And she and she understands that it's important to me or what I'm trying to do. Sometimes she doesn't understand all of it and sometimes it's a bit, frust- a bit frustrating because I go, t- I do my nine to five and I come home and I do my five to nine and um, I don't get as much time with the kids or hang as much time with her and that, but she's seen now that it's more to who I am as an individual. And 
that it's more honest of what I want to do as a, a, a person and trying to help. And um, I've got a um, an initiative that I actually haven't spoken about to anyone publicly outside of a few close people. Is I'm trying to find a way to help more people, but I don't have the money to help more people because I, I don't want I want I don't want you know to charge people's time. So I don't. But I want to, there's people living in the street, there's people that need help, there's kids going to school with no lunches, stuff like Dave Letelli and Butterbee Motion, there's people that don't have food on the tables. So I've got the contacts and the networks to be able to get to the people that need help. But I, for example, don't necessarily have the big enough revenue to be able to help them. So I want to put together like a campaign of um, joining at something called the Wolf Tribe we're coming up with, where you can, you're pretty much donating $5 a week, a cup of coffee to and become part of the Wolf Tribe. And all that money goes down to the community to help them on a weekly basis and getting shown on social media. And it's not shown to be shown and been seen as to show that as a, so for example, as a person you can see that's actually going out to help stuff. Because again, another dilemma we have in our society, in some instances, we have large charities and organizations out there and they collect a lot of money and millions. But the person down at the bottom, I doubt they see it in some areas. Some organizations, they do amazing work, don't get me wrong, but other ones I question. Of where the money that goes to the top and goes through 20 layers of organization and levels, does the person, that $5 or the $20 that I give to an organization or charity at the top, does that $20 get to the bottom? Mm. And I'm sure that every level it goes down, it gets cut by 10%, 10%, and 10%. And anyone that disagrees with me, I'm happy to listen. I guess we can name and shame some. No, that's no we're not going to do that. <laughs> we'll do that. We'll do that to you. We'll do that to you, Lawrence. <laughs> oh, mate, that's beautiful, mate. Hey, hey listen, I'm, I'm conscious of time as well, Lawrence. It's just beautiful. It's just, um, and I can imagine. Uh, we, I guess, Jan, I can imagine, like, oh, back, you know, what you were like back in the in, in the days. Um, but for for now, the, the dramatic change, bro. It's just, it's beautiful what you're doing, and I love that you're giving back to not only just people in general but people of all walks mm-hmm. and so depending who asks and so it's 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 cool that you're doing that um but have you had have you had people like who just just obviously some some random people but um people just like who the heck is this this is kind of far left what, what are you why, why are you asking me um not everyone's going to agree with everyone in the world not everyone's going to see the same way we do it right um Living, we're a year away from elections in New Zealand. I don't want to get into politics, but there's the one side, or there's the other side, or there's something in the middle. It's just the just the way it is, and I've realised that uh, in the beginning of doing that, there was why you doing this and who are you and what you're doing, and like I said, is I in my twenties I cared what people thought about me because I had the ego. Nah, um, I don't care. I hope, but I don't care. Um. Because I know I can't, we can't save everyone. That's the hard part. We can't save everyone. But we possibly could save one or two. And that's, if I can do that and and that's the people, then I will. And some people won't agree with me and some people might support me. So I've got a group of people that, that support me truly. And I've got other groups of friends that know me and, stuff, uh, and all the rest of it. But might not necessarily support me. And that's, I'm perfectly fine with that. Because it's... I, that's their decision and I support everyone on their own decision. That's cool, man. Cool. Jay. Man, um, <clears throat> excuse me, sorry. Um, I was just curious about um, 
just thinking about you going through that dark period and sometimes at least for those those people who are just inclined to learn the lessons the hard way <laughs> you know mom's always saying oh yeah you know you always have to learn the hard way but um do you think there was ever a scenario where you would have learnt what you learnt without having to go through that or do no. you feel like it had to happen that way in order for you to see that light that way i i would not be the person i am today without my without the last 3 years and in a weird way as much as i don't want to again use the word happy around it um i want to say blessed that it did happen if it didn't happen, I would have had more than I would have had needed in this world, but that would have been me and my family. And potentially 20 less people could have had what they needed in their world because I wouldn't have come to this side of the table to try and help them. Um, in that instance, the darkness, there's nothing in the life that I can teach you. I can explain it and I can tell you there's nothing, there's nothing that can educate and get you ready for it. But other than to tell people that there's people that have gone through it, I've gone through it, and they understand it and can support you through it. Um, and you know that there, there's that support. And then so that when you do get that situation for some reason in your life or when the world puts the pressure down that it, only the world can, and all of us in some stage in our life that will happen. It might not be depression, it might be suicide, it might be be as simple as a marriage falling over, not knowing what to do, losing a loved one. World will, will squeeze everything out of us, and there's nothing we can't be ready for it. For which we just got to know that there is ways to us to come and stand next to me, so that I don't have to be alone with this journey. Because that was one of the big things was I got through and I had the people that I reached out to, but I had to step through it and then step through it and step through it. I would never wish that on anyone in my life. My worst enemy. I would never want him to be to that point. Even my worst enemy, if he ended up in that point, I would go and help him. I would stand next to him. And then when he get out, I was like, okay, you can go away now, right? <laughs> because it's, like I said, it's, uh, when you get to that point, you've only got two ways. Up or down. Yeah, that's awesome. Thank you so much. You kind of answered my next question <laughs> anyways, which was, is it better to prepare to avoid that or better to prepare yourself to know that when you when you get there, and it's inevitable that you'll get there, that there is a way out? <clears throat> yeah, definitely the second. Yeah, yeah, no, that's cool. Um, you, you kind of embody, there, there's a story, and probably my favourite story in the world is, um, you might have read it already, Those Who Walk Away From O'Malis. No. And it's about this utopia this perfect city where everything is glorious everyone is happy and they build up this massive picture about how glorious and whatever it is you can imagine that's exactly what the city is um the catch is that the city's happiness or the happiness of this utopia is conditional on one child living in like a closet in the dark never seeing the light of day barely eating but not enough to die um and it's Everyone goes through this process of realizing the truth, but for a lot of them, the majority of the people accept that the sacrifice is worth the payout. But for a few of them, they don't accept it, and they are willing to journey into the wilderness to find their own, uh, you know, make their own utopia. And it's not known what happens to them, but they have the courage to walk away. And so it's kind of cool just hearing all of the story, mm. looking back at it all, and just seeing that you know your 
you're really vocal and really authentic about not accepting the way things are because mm -hmm. that's how they've always been, but looking at different ways to do things. And I think it's so admirable, it's so honourable, and um, it's really inspired me to to sort of think outside the box a little bit and really maybe even reach out. So, yeah, mm. this is big up to you, man. Appreciate yeah. it. Awesome. Thanks so much. That's so cool. It, uh, yeah, just to talk about what he's saying, what Jay's saying. Mm. Bro, you, you, you're kind of like convicting us, bro. Like, <laughs> like, bro. Am I doing enough to help other people? Am I just kind of, you know? And then I, lo I love the, your perspective and the way you think, um, Lawrence. Mm. It's so cool and it is authentic. And I love your heart. Mm. You said you mentioned blessed. We're blessed, bro, because the way you, you're talking and the way you're thinking, it's no longer about you anymore. Yeah. It's about helping others. And I love the fact that you, it's, it's just, it is about people in general, regardless of who you are, mm. background, color, creed, whatever, religion, I'm here to help you. And we love that. We love that, bro. We just um, and that's what it is. The whole premise around mandate is to encourage, inspire. And I love what you said. I can't inspire people. I can't motivate people if I can't, can't inspire them. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. And um, you have you've really inspired us, bro. I know we haven't touched on property. We haven't touched <laughs> on business, social media. And I know you wanted to talk about you know the mental health and 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 and, and also just the the well being of, of of men in general. And bro, just the way you are, bro. It's just. No, we, we've been really blessed, bro. We've been really blessed. But just one more question, bro. Oh, okay, because, bye. yeah, one more question is this. Uh, yeah, throughout the, the incident and the, the trials and the hardship, bro, what is what is the one thing, what is the highlight now thus far for you in terms of helping someone? Is there someone that you can think of or is there an individual or individuals that, you know, man, that was like, oh, bro, I was blessed to, to help this person. Who is that person in particular and what did you do for that person? Oh, um, that's a hard one because there's been there's been different paths um, on people. Um, one of you know moments is uh, is just supporting. Uh, again, I don't I don't like to point one above the other one. Um, and uh, you know, I'm thinking through people that help help their brand and their business. And um, there were one of the moments that I am most proud of. One of the moments was uh, when COVID hit. I went onto a, a New Zealand um, business Facebook group, and I said I was going to help um, brands that um, that needed to wanted to launch podcasts or social media. And I ran a whole long campaign, uh, it was about three or four months, and I did different courses and stuff for people through there. And I gave it away for all, I gave it all away for free um, at that stage. And there was people coming on, and at that stage that uh, had lost their job and didn't know what was next. Um, and I was able to teach them how to do this sort of stuff in a free manner. And you know, you might people go, oh, you can podcast for free. Yeah, you can. It, it This is next level where we are, right? This is that next level. But you can. You can do social media for free. You can do podcasts for free. You can launch a brand or in a business for free. Um, you can do a lot of things if you have the right education. So one of the cool things when I think back now was being able to um, do that and having people in their big struggle and going, hey, here it is. Here's, here's a stepping stone. Here's uh, a help on that ladder. And then for them to take that next step in the ladder. And some people are still doing it today. They've still got their brand. They're still going with it, and it's helping them build up um, to the next steps down their journey um, and bring revenue in and bring business in and give them that stabilization that they need. Man, awesome. And when you do, when you, when you do that, you know that's your purpose. You're like, man, yeah. this is what I'm <laughs> supposed to be doing. Man, props to you. So props to you, man. Hey, um, any, any last words on Jay or...? 
No, I'm just grateful for the time and just the honesty. And um, I think the one thing I'll take away um, from this was um, sort of the importance of recognizing signs. Um, not every sign is sort of signposted for us yeah. um, or convenient for us. But you, you mentioned before about, um, you know, your vision mm. and movement being impaired. And um, when you went to go see the doctors and I just thought that was such a good um, analogy for life and the signs that we might miss or that we notice, but not enough for us to like think that something's different. We might mm -hmm. put it down to age or whatever else, yep. but whatever it is we're going through in life, I think there are signs for us uh, to be able to pursue things further, to be able to slow back on mm -hmm. things, but there are signs, we are surrounded by signs. And so uh, one of my life models is look for the lesson. And yep. I think there's lessons all around us and I'm thankful for the lessons you've shared with us through your experience. So awesome. appreciate you. Yeah, thank you man, so much, Lawrence. Man, thank you so much. Also, hey, also, is there someone in particular you can think of at the top of your head who who would be ideal, could be ideal for the for the podcast, um, bro, to come to come on? Yeah, yeah. To come on. Um, uh, how about this? I'll do a shout out. Um, so for the last few years, uh, as part of it, I always try and find myself a merch brand, for example, um, that resonates close with me. I had a company, NKDU Apparel, previously um, um, out of Australia that uh, resonated with me. They were sports, uh, rugby league apparel that supports people through mental health. Um, at, at the moment, um, I'm better than before from um, a guy in New Zealand, Sam, um, and he's also trying to make a difference. Um, he's trying to teach people how to be better than before, um, drive into the next level, um, and becoming, again, better human beings. Uh, he's got a, a podcast, goes out there, reaches out to people, um, trying to help um, people get up on um, taking that next step in their lives and stuff like that. So if I do have to, I have to do a shout out to something to someone that I think would be great here, I think Sam from Better Than Before be a, a, a good guest. Uh, and some of the other people, like I said, that inspired me, you've already had on your show. Um, likes of Tox, um, Joseph Parker, um, Dave Latelli, you know, those people, you've, 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 you've really killed it by having them on. Oh, man, thanks. Hey, Sam, if you're listening, brother, come on, better, better than before. <laughs> We're we coming need, for you. We need you, bro. <laughs> no, awesome, awesome, Lawrence. Hey, Lawrence, every guest that comes on, we always give them a gift, a bit of a sketch, a bit of a caricature. Brother, you are no different. That's, this is for you on behalf of the Mandate team. <laughs> brother, bless you so much, Uso. Oh, look at that. <laughs> that is awesome hey man uh, no, you're awesome bro thank you so much for your time we really appreciate it um, please um, we, yeah, we definitely have to have a part two so yeah. we can actually talk about property <laughs> business and, and social media we need to I think it's one of the things that um, our men need to understand and need to know so part two man we, we're, we're hitting you up again bro uh, sounds good always happy yeah but any, any last words any last words of encouragement for our, our viewers um, if, you, if you're still yet at this length of the show I've obviously some, I've said something right and good because you know we've been going for a while but uh, if there's anything you want to reach out um, feel free um, obviously my details will be across the, on the show um, my name's Lawrence Lott you find me anywhere on any social platform that is out there but the biggest thing is just um, if you're unsure still reach out if you want to say hi say hi um, if, if you're not sure where you need the help or where you need the support and everything like that please um you know as my wife says my cell phone's always in my hand um so send me a message we can chat we can catch up we can virtually virtually or for a cup of coffee um uh, i'm i'm a safe person to reach out to awesome awesome and the man's not kidding please hit him up looking up um, on youtube on all the social media please the wolf of queen street please Hit him up, Lawrence Lots, and so, bro, thank you so much. And as usual, 
Also, um, like, subscribe, and comment. And as usual, refine, unlock, and, and take charge. charge. Band-Aid.